Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, choosing between stable housing or health care related expenses. A collaborative of six health Health Systems Report, this is a crisis for many, whether they pay the rent or pay for the medicine. We'll talk all about it. Plus, Florida has long reigned as the destination for retirees, but there's a shift in that trend, and Georgia is on the mind for retirees. We'll talk about that. And, oh, yeah, we'll talk about this. That ball is gone! one nothing Braves, and Jorge feels like busting loose. And that's how you start a World Series. It's one down and three wins to go as the Atlanta Braves won game one of the World Series last night. Now, I'll check in with Craig Cohen. He's the executive producer and host of Houston Matters from Houston Public Media. We have a friendly little wager on the World Series, and we'll talk all about this. All that's coming up, but we'll begin with this. A Fulton County grand jury has handed up two indictments in the 2016 shooting death of 26-year-old Jamarian Robinson. Eric Hines and Christopher Hutchins were indicted on two counts of felony murder, as well as six other counts, including aggravated assault, burglary, two counts each of making false statements and violation of oath by a public officer. Now, back on August 5th in 2016, according to the GBI, a U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force was attempting to arrest Jamarian Robinson at an East Point apartment complex. Now, as to what actually happened that day, there have been conflicting reports now, I spoke with Jamarian Robinson's mother, Montario, back on back in 2018 on Closer Look. Here's what she said. If I wouldn't hire my own people, I hired a forensic, I hired a ballistic person, I hired an investigator. If I wouldn't have done any of that, I wouldn't have never known, number one, he was shot 76 times. I would have never known he was handcuffed and dragged down the flight of stairs. I would have never known that someone stood over him and shot down, you know, shot into his body two more times. I would have never known flash grenades were thrown at him and one final thing uh that my forensic person because they you know they put out their own false narrative and they said you say they you're talking about the authorities the authorities they put out a false narrative on my son saying that he had a shootout with police and I said no that's not my son and my forensic person came back to me and said no as a matter of fact your son did not have anything in his hands he was shot six times in the palm of his right hand and five times in the palm of his left hand so you believe your son did not even have a weapon correct I I believe that because I know my son That is Montero Robinson from 2018 talking about the shooting death of her son, Jamarian, back in 2016. Again, a Fulton County grand jury has handed up two indictments related to his death. Officers Eric Hines and Officer Christopher Hutchins have been indicted with two counts of felony murder and other counts. A 
spokesperson for Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis told Closer Look, quote, we don't have a statement beyond the indictment at this point, close quote. In other news, Georgia's offices of the Red Cross say blood supplies throughout the country are the lowest they've ever been for this time of year. Now, typically autumn sees a resurgence in donations from the summer, which tends to always dip. But the Red Cross sites, there's because of the rise in COVID cases last month and a return to work for many. Well, fall has not seen the usual uptick in donations and hospital demands for blood is still very high. So what do they need? Well, more than 10,000 donations on a weekly basis in order to keep up with the busy holiday season. Now, they are planning a number of blood drives throughout Georgia in November, and they're asking people to schedule an appointment and wear a mask to give blood as well as platelets. And finally, the Golden Ray, the Golden Ray, y'all, is now out of St. Simon's Water. This car carrier has been stuck on its side off the coast of Georgia for more than two years. Our own Molly Samuel has been following this, and she reports now the ship is gone, but there's still more work to do. Removing the Golden Ray has been a gigantic effort. The 650-foot ship capsized just off St. Simons Island in 2019 as it was leaving the port of Brunswick carrying more than 4,000 cars. It's been partially submerged since then, slowly shrinking as crews slice the ship into giant pieces to haul away. Coast Guard Commander Efren Lopez is a member of the wreck response team. He says this has been the largest wreck removal in U.S. history. From the beginning, we knew this was going to be an extremely difficult and complicated operation. Strong tides, an active shipping channel, and a delicate coastal environment all complicated things. And then there was the pandemic, two hurricane seasons, oil spills, and a fire. But now the ship is mostly all gone. There's a huge milestone we've just reached. Chris Graff is with Gallagher Marine System, representing the ship's owner. He joined Lopez and others at an event to mark the removal of the last of the ship's sections from the water. They stood in front of one of those colossal sections mounted on a barge towering high with cars still visible inside. Susan Inman is coastal advocate with the environmental group 100 Miles. She says she's relieved to not see the ship looming off the coast anymore. The next phase is to clean up what we can't see. There's still cars and parts of the ship underwater, and monitoring for debris and oil on nearby beaches and marshes will continue for months. The E! News. WABE's environment reporter Molly Samuel there, and she's right. There will be more work to do. Now, coming up, Georgians shouldn't have to choose between paying their rent or buying their medicine, but for some, that is a reality. More when we come back. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE. I'm Rose Scott. It is a crisis having to choose between stable housing or paying for health care related expenses. And it's an issue the Atlanta Regional Collaborative for Health Improvement, or Archie, has been bringing some attention to. Joining me now is Catherine Lawyer. She's the executive director of Archie. Welcome to the program. I really appreciate it. 
Great to be with you, Rose. Thanks for having me. And I think we may have a little bit of a delay, so bear with us. But before we get into this crisis, Catherine, let's tell our listeners a little bit more about the mission of Archie and what you all do. Archie is a collaborative of now over 110 organizations with a shared 28-year commitment to improving health in the core metro Atlanta area. At the center of that commitment is really an understanding that our region has amazing healthcare assets, but it takes a lot more than healthcare to make everyone healthy. And also a recognition that our past uh, has led to a lot of our health inequities today. And that if we're going to make substantial differences for people today and tomorrow, we have to address some of our practices and policies that have been standing for too long. These organizations, this collaborative that you all are talking about, uh, for example, whom? So as you might imagine, uh, most of the major health systems, insurance companies have all been a part of Archie since the very beginning. But Archie was founded on the idea that health is the work of everyone. So very from the very beginning, its founders included the United Way of Greater Atlanta, the Atlanta Regional Commission. Archie is housed at the Georgia Health Policy Center at Georgia State University. So of those 110 partners, over 70 percent really represent housing, transportation, folks who work on quality jobs and education, the whole range of what it makes for people to be healthy. So anything that's at the intersection of health and wellness. You're absolutely right. And and also a commitment to working together. So at the it's really for partners who recognize that they can do excellent work, but they may not be able to achieve the impact they're looking for. So I always like to say people join Archie because they want to be, as an organization, six inches taller. They want to stretch to be in that space where they know uh, their work lies. And it's usually in that cross-sector approach because that's how we all live our lives. We don't live our lives in these little neat segments. And I imagine since last year, these last 20 months, COVID-19, the pandemic has been at the core of pretty much maybe 90%, if not more, of the conversations and the work that you all have been doing. Absolutely. I'm, I don't think anybody has ever worked as hard uh, as so many of the Archie partners. And as you know, so many of the organizations you regularly feature on your show, Rose, uh, people have really stepped up and found all kinds of ways of working differently. Um, and I think that's what we are here to celebrate. Um, one, that these issues are really urgent, but we're also starting to see the differences we're all hoping for coming out of this pandemic which is a real fundamentally different way of working, where collaboration isn't extra, but it's core to uh, what we intend to do and the way that we measure our success. And that's really true of all of our area health systems, despite how unbelievably busy they've been. In fact, you all have been convening these conversations, I guess, every other week with the six major health systems in Atlanta. And as it came across our wires and it said, quote, Atlanta, COVID is a disaster, but you should see what's going on in housing. What are y'all hearing? Yeah, you know, housing was an issue for patients of Metro Atlanta health systems prior to the pandemic. And just like so many things, the pandemic has exacerbated the problems. But we're talking about health systems who um, several years ago began to adopt. They, they would ask you not just about maybe your diabetes, but ask you about housing and ask about food. And as the pandemic has persisted, uh, metro area health systems are finding almost um, huge rates of individuals who are reporting that they're having difficulty with housing. Either they're being evicted or they might be evicted. They're having to move far away from their services and supports. They're doubling up with families. And so it becomes very, very challenging to address health issues 
uh, when that housing is not stable. Obviously, that you know is most extreme when someone's homeless, but it can be all the way through the uh, spectrum, and it is a dominant issue right now for patients at, at all kinds of health systems in Atlanta. And we're not just talking about patients who might be dealing with COVID-19. We're talking about just patients in general. Right. And I know you've probably heard this as your listeners have, you know, many people had to delay care because of the pandemic. People who have chronic conditions like diabetes or asthma, maybe weren't attending their appointments in the same regularity because of all the changes that had to be made. And so as people are working very hard to get well, um, going back to the doctor, having their regular visits, re-engaging, there's a, this issue of housing instability is really pulling the rug out from too many folks. Um, Luckily, people are stepping up to find new ways of addressing it, but it's a really important part of the overall affordable housing conversation that we make sure to understand this this relationship between health and housing, that you can't be healthy unless you have housing. Well, can you give an example of maybe one of these major health systems, what they're doing, any resources they have or initiatives they have in trying to help patients? Yes, so a number of health systems, including uh, Grady and St. Joseph's Mercy Care and others are starting to screen for these issues, whether it's food, housing, to ask people while they're in there for their appointment to find out what's going on. Um, And many of them, um, we are supporting them deploying community health workers, which is an individual who's really not there to be uh, medical, but really talk to you about what else is going on and help you navigate to care and support. Um, And housing is the number one issue that these community health workers and the health systems are dealing with. Uh, Everything from helping people apply to find new units um, and story after story of patients who have been living in very difficult circumstances in their car, patients who have had to live in a storage facility, Um, And community health workers really getting them uh, into an option that can work for them. But it's getting harder and harder to find affordable housing, even when you have the support of a a full-time assistant like that. And that is something we have been talking about for so many years here. But Catherine, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly and and our listeners too. Patients talking about living in their car and living in storage facilities. Yeah, it's just tragic, Rose. The circumstances that people have had to find themselves in. Uh, both, you know, provoked by a lot of the tragedy of the pandemic. Um, And, you know, recognizing that people are incredibly resilient, uh, but we have to have the supports and services uh, to get them where they need to go um, to hold them up and keep them stable. Uh, Otherwise, these health problems can get very, very severe and very expensive. And then we see people having to go to the emergency room, having extended hospitalizations, unable to work. Um, So being able to integrate health and housing by partnering between housing organizations and health systems like a number of folks are doing, mm-hmm. doing more of that really is uh, part of this whole new way of working that we're going to have to adopt if we're going to be successful coming out of the pandemic. And Catherine, what role can you all over at Archie do? You hear all this information coming from these major health systems here in the Atlanta area. Are you all able then to take that information or also, you know, maybe not put pressure, but let policymakers, state officials know that this is an issue? That's exactly right. Uh, So when we have been bringing the health systems together, and as you already mentioned, they meet on a regular basis, we're first able to recognize that this is more than individual patient circumstances. We can identify trends way before there's all the official data reports are in. So we can see those trends in real time, and each of the health systems can actually recognize, hey, it's not just us who are dealing with this, everyone's dealing with this, we have a problem. And then we're able to move forward with a unified voice to understand what are the policy and practice changes 
but also to keep articulating the gaps in services when we do that together. And, and that's a really important part of that neutral platform, um, because while everybody's working hard to serve Atlanta area patients, we need that space for them to come and reflect and be really learning in real time. You know, there's so much about the pandemic that unfortunately was predictable. And I know you've talked about that in a number of angles on, on your show. Uh, what we have to really commit to is that the recovery doesn't have to be predictable either, because mm -hmm. if it is predictable, it means it will be disproportionate on marginalized people and people of color, because that's how recovery, economic recovery has gone for a long time in our community. We have the opportunity right now to disrupt that and really redesign uh, what it means to be in Atlanta by this this different way of working together. And Catherine, someone listening may say, well, now are we mostly talking about patients who are who have who are uninsured or underinsured or folks who even have health care insurance. It may not just disproportionately affect one particular patient popula population of a patient. It is really across the board, Rose. Um, it is a it, patients from all kinds of walks of life and in all sorts of uh, life circumstances. The pandemic has certainly made that worse. But we do know that there are particular issues for anybody who has the slightest bit of complexity. So folks who may be um, facing some behavioral health challenges, and we know those are on the rise. Or the other thing that happened during the pandemic is we saw a spike in substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a housing issue and you also are looking for recovery and retreatment, um, those are pretty particularly exacerbated right now as well. And we have health systems working really hard to help place people, um, but we have to grow the services and supports out there so that they can get where they need to be. Well, Catherine, let's take the opportunity to highlight those health systems for folks that are listening to this program right now. Who, who are they? So we have um, all the major health systems in the Atlanta area are meeting, as you mentioned, every other week to discuss these circumstances. So we're talking about Grady and Wellstar and St. Joseph's Mercy Care. Um, Piedmont is a part of those conversations. Northside, uh, but we've also had a lot of support from insurers like Humana and Kaiser Permanente, CareSource, who also recognize that they can be a part of the solution too. And if folks want more information, we will have, have a link from our website to yours as well. Catherine, I don't think we need to really amplify what happens when someone has to choose maybe housing over a healthcare-related expenses, especially if they already have a pre-existing condition. But if you wanted to send that message home to listeners, what would you say? I would say that we can do a whole lot better. Um, and our job is to hold people up and get through what we're in and get to a place of recovery. And we can do that when we recognize that these things are related and when we sort of join forces to make, uh, meet people where they are and make sure we're inverting the burden away from the person and finding a way for the system to meet the care that they need. Mm. Catherine Lawler, Executive Director of Archie, also the Atlanta Regional Collaborative for Health Improvement. Thank you so much for taking the time talking about this very important issue here in our, in our region, maybe not just in Atlanta or Georgia, but throughout the nation. Thank you, Rose. This is 90.1 WABE. The program is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. 
Our neighboring buddies, the state of Florida, it has been the desired destination for retirees for some decades. Why? Well, it's not called the Sunshine State for nothing. Plenty of sun and wonderful weather. It has beaches, theme parks, including good old Disney World, right? No state income tax and other tax breaks for seniors. Yay, love tax breaks. But also has some thriving senior communities. But Florida's hold atop the favorite state for retirees is slipping or has slipped. Here with all the details is Jana Linett, Senior Strategic Policy Advisor for AARP. Jana, welcome. Thank you, Rose. Nice to be here. Uh, are the folks in Florida, are they mad? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a nice uh, competition you all have going, huh? Let's begin here. As Let's begin with you, though, actually, first. As Senior Strategic Policy Advisor, what are you tasked with overseeing? Uh, so I work on AARP's livability team, and we're working to try to help our communities around the country become more uh, livable to people of all ages. Um, and so one of the projects I, I uh, manage is our AARP livability index, mm -hmm. which scores every neighborhood in the United States against 60 indicators of livability. And I remember some years back, we actually did a segment on this because I believe I could be wrong, but I believe Brookhaven and some other neighborhoods and communities here in Georgia had scored pretty high on that index. Yeah, I don't recall the specifics for Brookhaven, um, but certainly we do have a number of Georgia communities that do well on the livability index. What goes, what's the, what are those metrics that you all use for that index? So we have, uh, I mentioned 60 indicators, mm -hmm. and those are divided into seven categories of livability. Um, so that includes housing. Um, neighborhood, transportation, the environment, health, engagement, and opportunity. And so I can go into more detail on any of those. But. What, what did I imagine? What's a good score? Maybe, uh, I don't want to give a score, and then we get an Intel Atlanta score, we have a bad score. <laughs> what is a good score? Well, I, you know, really anything over 50 is going to be a decent score, um, particularly at the city level or the county level, because the way we score in the index is we build up from that neighborhood level. So city scores are the average of all the neighborhoods within them. And so it's it's harder to get one of those really high scores. But uh, certainly um, at the neighborhood level, if you're seeing scores in the high 60s, 70s, mm -hmm. those are very good scores. Um, but at the city level, uh, county level, I'd say even um, around 50 to 60 is a great score. So we're talking housing, transportation, health, maybe if it's a, you talk about a thriving or livable or, or you're talking about the community engagement, um, all those things, environment. Yeah, so um, within the environment category of livability, we're looking at things like air and water quality, um, how close people live to high traffic roads and thus how much they're exposed to, to air and noise pollution. Um, we're also on the other side looking at policies. Mm -hmm. So does the community have in place a hazard mi mitigation plan so that the community can respond to a natural disaster very quickly and get people back on their feet. Um, under engagement, we're looking at resilience in the sense of how um, engaged are people with their community? Do they know their uh, friends, you know, are their neighbors, and are they interacting with uh, family and neighbors? Um, what are the voting rates? Um, 
Within housing, it's looking at both the supply of housing that has accessibility features, as well as the affordability, different housing choices, so people can find a place to live at, at their particular price point. Um, on transportation, it looks at things from, you know, the levels of traffic congestion to um, transportation alternatives, um, how easy it is, is it to walk about your community, mm -hmm. use public transportation, et cetera. And with this information, other than the obviously the folks, your members in AARP, but who else do you hope gets this information? So really the index can be used by several different audiences. Um, we would certainly hope for just um, the uh, you know residents to use this to see um, how can, you know, how does my community perform? Where are its strengths? Where are some of the weaknesses? And then use it to communicate uh, information with their elected officials to try to really lobby them to imp make improvements. We also see it as people just using it if they're looking for a new place to live. So mm -hmm. it's a great tool if you are, you know, reaching retirement age and you do have the means to, to move to a new community. Um, it can really help zero in on not only um, you know, oftentimes people are looking for that perfect home, but mm -hmm. we really encourage people look for that perfect neighborhood that fits your needs. And is that going to help you um, age in place, you know, for the rest of your life? And does it have the services that you may need as you um, enter older age? And then also, you know, influencers, elected officials mm. can get a lot of great information from the Livability Index, as well as city planners, et cetera. And we should note for our listeners that when they go online, they can actually do comparison between different cities. I just put in Atlanta and Fort Lauderdale. And well, right now, <laughs> advantage Fort Lauderdale. But there's so many criteria, so many metrics here. But why now did you all, are you all deciding or coming up with the fact that maybe more folks, retirees, are looking at Georgia as opposed to Florida? What have you all been noticing? Well, I think that Georgia has a lot of things going for it that get, uh, you know, talked about by others, uh, you know, talking in this space. So the climate, you've got the seasons without it being too unbearably cold like other parts further north. Um, you've got a lot of diversity of attractions, you know, a lot of different types of amenities within driving distance, anywhere from beaches to the mountains, big cultural amenities, you know, the big city cultural amenities, small town charm, lots of history and sporting venues from world-class golf courses to other entertainment aspects. And so all of that in combination with a tax-friendly environment, um, strong healthcare institutions, particularly near more populated, populated areas of the state, I think do serve Georgia well as being a retirement destination. Um, but again, it, it a lot of it is, it is in the details. And when I was just looking at our livability index earlier today, mm -hmm. preparing for the interview, um, some of those communities that pop up to the top um, on these other lists are are not necessarily the communities that are scoring the highest within our livability index, although others do score very high. So, you know, for instance, Savannah, it frequently mm -hmm. um, comes up on best places to retire lists. And it actually scores a 50 on our index. And I mentioned at the city level, that's a decent score. Um, and it's um, performing particularly well on environment, housing and transportation options. So that's just one example. Do you think the, because we've been in this pandemic, obviously now for 20 minutes, 
20 months, 20 minutes be great, right? For 20 months now, do you think that this will also have a play a factor in where folks think about retiring? Yeah, I mean, everything I've been reading um, is, and we're certainly seeing some of the trend and data that people are looking for um, places to live that are perhaps somewhat outside of that central city um, kind of core destination. Um, suburban areas are showing more appeal uh, because of that, um, single family homes. Mm. But I think people are still going to be looking for those communities where perhaps the residential neighborhoods are lower in density, but they still have access to the that opportunity to have those spontaneous interactions with neighbors um, that you get from having a more um, mixed use type of neighborhood. Thing, places that are walkable where you can walk to shops and services. Um, there are restaurants, a lot of outdoor dining. That's obviously a much higher priority mm -hmm. now for many people, um, et cetera. But there's something else and you mentioned this because I would imagine at the top, all those amenities that you just talked about in, in your last sentence there are great. But I, for most retirees, they're probably going to look at housing and you look now, I don't know what the median home price is down in Florida, but I know in, in the Atlanta area, it, it's it's getting high. But I guess compared to parts of Florida, you all are seeing a, a gap here that favors Georgia. Um, well, we're seeing a housing affordability gap across the United States, and it's not specific to Florida, and, and it certainly exists in um, in parts of Georgia as well. And so part of what AARP has been advocating for um, and increasingly over the last few years is how do we create those housing choices within our communities that are still, um, you know, still recognize in the character of the community without trying to abruptly change that character. So we need to be looking at how do we get a bit more density built into our neighborhoods, um, but without, you know, doing really high rise apartments uh, mm -hmm. necessarily. So if that's not what the community wants. So we've been promoting the concept of missing middle housing, where you fit in those duplexes, the small quad type of apartment buildings within single family home neighborhoods, um, so that you're able to get some additional housing supply um, within the larger region. And here in the Atlanta region, according to the Atlanta Regional Commission, they forecast that there will be more than a million residents age 75 and older by 2050. Now, this is the fat, one of the fastest growing age cohorts in this region. So when you hear that and you think about that trend and you put that against, well, will there be housing? What concerns you? Well, in addition to affordability um, for many householders, it's the notion of accessibility. Um, very few of our housing units, single family home housing units are built with the basic accessibility features, meaning a, a zero step entrance so that if you're using a walker mm -hmm. or a wheelchair, you can get in your front door, you know, wide enough doorways, um, a bathroom on the ground floor, and then those wide enough entryways into all of the rooms so that you can, you know, live <laughs> essentially in your home. And, you know, something like less than 
5% of our entire housing stock in the United States meets these three basic um, accessibility features. And so unless we as a society really make a commitment to in, in all types of housing that we're building to include these basic features, then we're not going to be able to meet the needs of an aging population. Did you say less than 5%? Less than 5% of our housing stock meets basic accessibility needs, meaning most of our housing stock is wow. in single family homes and most of most of our housing stock requires um, uh, you know, climbing stairs to yeah. get in the door. Hmm. A few years ago on this program, Jana, we had, I spoke with some seniors who were, and, and they called it the, the golden girl model. That was the model that, that they used because there was a, a little bit of a trend where seniors were moving into to, in homes with, with one another because of, you know, someone who had been a widow or whomever had a, a big house. They felt like they could still stay in their home. But, you know, they were opening it up almost like a, a Airbnb for seniors or, or permanent Airbnb for seniors. Are you all seeing different types of, of models for housing for folks as they get older that's also coming online here? Well, certainly we're hearing about some of that. I think it's still very niche um, and it's something that I, it would be great to see grow this form of, you know, even multi-generational housing where we design uh, homes for um, grandparents to mm -hmm. live with children um, and grandchildren and other types of that, that type of housing. And I think there's going to be an increasing demand for this as our nation becomes more diverse. We see many different um, cultures uh, in America that embrace more of this notion of multi-generational housing. So after all this that we've talked about, I think I will retire to Savannah. Savannah is a beautiful city. <laughs> Jenna Lina, the Senior Strategic Policy Advisor for AARP. And again, we'll have a link to all of this information on our website. Jenna, thank you so much for taking time. Good information. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rose. Closer Look continues on this Wednesday here on 90.1 WABE. I'm Rose Scott. Yes, game one of the World Series is in the books now. That ball is gone! one nothing Braves, and Jorge feels like busting loose. And that's how you start a World Series. Woo-hoo! I think that's a good sign of things to come. That is an amazing start. Valdez just trying to fight to stay in the game. This one is a rocket into left and gone. Five nothing Atlanta here in the third inning. As Duvall goes deep. What a start to game one for the Braves. Can you think of anything better than hitting a World Series homer? Not a thing. My gosh, that ought to get Adam going. Another missile right into the seats, and the fans have already launched it. Wow, the Braves jumped out to an early lead over the Houston Astros and came away with the win, but 
For our pitcher, Charlie Morton, he'll have to wait till next season to pitch again. He has a fractured right fibula after being struck on the shin by a ball, and it was a fastball going 102 miles per hour. That was in the second inning of the game, and somehow he managed to finish that inning and actually started the third. Wow, Charlie, get better. Now, since the World Series is underway, our Closer Look team decided to challenge our fellow NPR affiliate at Houston Public Media with a little friendly wager, no money but something far better than cash, since it's public radio, of course. What are we talking about? Socks, coffee mugs, T-shirts, of course. So we called up Craig Cohen. He's the executive producer and host of the morning program, Houston Matters, for a lovely World Series chat. Craig, welcome. Good to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you, too, as well, Rose. Now, now Craig, I don't want to, you know, bring up old stuff, but let's begin here. Okay. Y'all going to play fair, right? The Astros. Of course. Of course. Y'all have some issues. (laughs) We talked about this on on yesterday's show, on on my show, because, yeah, for the last uh, four years, uh, we have been waiting to see how the rest of the world would respond to the sign-stealing scandal. Because, as you know, for two seasons there, there, there weren't fans in the stands. And now, yeah. once we've had full ballparks, everywhere the Astros have gone on the road this year, through the playoffs, the Boo Birds have been out in force. Uh, and it's an interesting <laughs> dynamic. And what we talked about on my show uh, the other day was whether or not it's fair. It may be for some of those players, but yeah. the overwhelming majority of them didn't play for the Astros in the midst of all of that. And so it's really skipper. booing it's booing the logo. Yeah, new yeah. new new manager, new general manager, but there are four players basically the infield who were there and did benefit from it just as as you know Atlanta's pitcher Charlie Morton may have benefited mm-hmm. from it. So yeah, okay. where do we take that as fans? <laughs> what do we do with that? Well, as fans, you know, it's always fun to just have something to poke at the other team. Right. But for a moment, and we'll get to the team in terms of breaking down pitching and some of that stuff. But let's talk about the atmosphere right now in Houston. What's it like, Craig? This is something else we were discussing, how Houston needs this right now. Maybe not on the level that we did post-Harvey in 2017. What maybe has been lost somewhat in the electronic sign-stealing scandal was that prior to knowledge about that, the Houston Astros championship was really a godsend for the Houston area after dramatic and intense flooding. Uh, And it it was the coalescing event for the Houston Mm -hmm. area. Now in 2021, I guess what I'd say is we're in this strange space that everyone's in, where there are bits of news that are really good, but with caveats. So Take the sign stealing, take take the World Series. Uh, The Astros are in the series. That's great. But this scandal still dogs them because Mm -hmm. people didn't get a chance to get all those boos out of their system a couple of years ago. You look at something like high oil prices. Great for the economy in Houston. Terrible for drivers when they show up at the pumps. And that includes all of us. Uh, You look at the pandemic. We're seeing the, the Delta wave start to decline significantly, which is great. Boosters becoming more available. That's great. The potential of being able to vaccinate young children. All positive steps forward to try and reduce the impact of the pandemic. But we also know there's that other next wave that could always come some months from now. So 
I think there is optimism, there is joy in Houston, there is this sense of we have something to grab hold of and root for, but always with the thought in the back of your mind, ah, uh, yeah, but. Yeah. How, how about well, Atlanta? What's, well, what's know, happening in Atlanta? Here's what's interesting, because I moved to, I moved to Atlanta in 1996, and of course we all know about the Braves in the 90s, all those trips to the World Series, but, you know, only one championship. And then the city hasn't really experienced, although technically the Braves aren't in Atlanta anymore. They're kind of like up the street, but it's still Atlanta Braves. <laughs> right. um, you know, other than Atlanta United winning the championship a couple, you know, some years ago, we haven't had much to cheer for. I mean, the Falcons, we know what happened in the Super Bowl. Um, the Atlanta Dream, they're coming off a terrible season. Uh, the Falcons right now are, eh. That's the best way I can put it. We don't know kind of what we're going to get from weekend to weekend. And I think just for the Braves fans, uh, being able to not just make it to the World Series, but to win. And you look at a guy like Freddie Freeman, you know, you look at a manager like Brian, who's been around for such a long time. And, and, and right now the sentiment is we're going to seize this moment, but also let's win it. Let's bring home a World Series title. We lost our beloved Hank Aaron. Um, obviously recently. So, you know, Atlanta needs this. The Atlanta region needs this. Everything with the All-Star game being moved out of Georgia, all of that. So like you all, you know, we're dealing with some separate optics, but overall with the pandemic and everything else too, you know, both cities would love to just be able to have a parade for their baseball team. Uh, Let me tell you what I really appreciate about the Atlanta Ball Club. Um, there are some teams, they show up in sports every few years, that are greater in their sum than they are in their individual parts. And mm-hmm. you mentioned Freddie Freeman, and certainly he's great. And there, there are terrific players on that ball club. But I would say Atlanta, at least in, in my impression, is made up of a lot of very good players, as opposed to two or three superstars and whatever else they could get. It's easy to root for teams where you feel like there's a lot of talent across the board, but you know no one player is dramatically above the rest. Well, it's a collective, and you go back to June of this year when it looked like the Braves were just we were like, okay, when do catchers and pitchers report for the next season? You know, people had written off this team, and and then to rise from the bottom to make it here has just been extraordinary. And of course, you know, with baseball in, in itself, you know, with people have issues with the, the salaries. I'm look, I've, I'm tired of having that conversation. I feel <laughs> if a team wants to pay a player $300 million and they got it, go for it. I would love to see that go to some, you know, <laughs> other areas, but you know, a, a team has it, you know, but my, but also I'm from St. Louis. You're from St. Louis. Our yes. listeners are just finding that out. We both are from St. Louis. Cardinals, are, you are a Cardinals fan too, right? Of, yes, absolutely. And, and in fact, our, our listeners uh, know this very well. I, I haven't uh, hid the fact that I am a, both a Cardinals and Blues hockey fan and diehard one my whole life. And look how long it took the Blues to get a Stanley Cup. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. 50 years plus of... Mediocrity, occasionally futility, often questions about whether they would ever be able to get over that hump. Uh, and so when you come across franchises that, that have 
suffered that long. Or you come across cities that are looking for a little bit of street cred that they haven't gotten. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's, I think Houston feels that sometimes. I think Atlanta probably feels that sometimes. I know St. Louis does. Absolutely. That, that we, we get disregarded a little bit at times by national media. And so it's great when you have moments like this. Houston and Atlanta in a World Series that I'm sure a lot of people were expecting was going to be between L.A. and Boston. Yeah. And we don't want that to happen. Uh, that being said, Craig, now here's our little friendly wager. Uh, yep. The team that, I don't want to say loses, because you know we want to be positive. The team that doesn't win <laughs> the series, <laughs> then that team's public media station, which is, would be y'all, and I guess you and maybe some other folks, y'all would wear, and I'm going to go ahead and put this out there, y'all are going to wear our WABE hat and T-shirt, and we'll send you some sure. socks. And you'll take a picture, and you'll, you'll put it on social media, and you'll say how great WABE Public broadcast in Atlanta. Closer look with Rose Scott is, you know, I'm going to go ahead and put that on out there, okay? Just send me your, your shirt size and everything, and, you know, I got you. Okay, well, well I think we can hold off on sharing shirt sizes till the series <laughs> is over. But uh, I, uh, but, but uh, absolutely, I think that's a great idea, and we'll do the same uh, from our end. Uh, if, if we should be so lucky as to see the Astros win the World Series in six games, as so many are predicting, or seven, <laughs> or four or five, Whatever it may be, uh, then we'll we'll see if we can't send some uh, some of our our swag your way and and have you do the same thing. I mean, let's face it, there is nothing more public radio, as you said, than than coffee mugs, tote bags, and T-shirts. That's Matt, that's you know it, it's it's a way of life. It's a way of life. Right. Uh, Craig, it's been so much fun talking to you. I did not know you were from St. Louis until I looked on your Twitter handle. I said, oh, the blues. I bet he's from St. Louis. So yeah, this is pretty cool too. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we're slowly taking over the media landscape. <laughs> <laughs> slowly? <laughs> Very slowly. I mean, there's two of us, so that's a start. <laughs> that is great. That is great. Well, listen, where will you be for the games? I know you got tickets, right? That's how you roll. Um, um, not so much, no. But, uh, but I'll, I'll be uh, paying close attention. You can count on that. I don't know about down in Houston, but we up here at Truist Park, I mean, we've seen stuff on StubHub. Tickets going for 20, 20K a ticket. It's just insane. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> I no. suppose it is for the one person who can afford it, but even then, probably they shouldn't. Well, when you got it. <laughs> yeah, you got it now they it, could right? <laughs> they could have it and donate it to houston public media and wabe ah, now you're thinking now you're thinking <laughs> craig cohen he is the executive producer and host of the morning program houston matters been been fun my friend i really appreciate that let's check in again throughout the series looking forward to it thank you rose to be Houston Public Media, Houston Matters. Braves win it all. They will wear 
WABE swag, take pictures, all that good stuff. If Houston wins, we ain't going to do nothing. No, if Houston wins, we'll do the same. Good conversation there with Craig Cohen. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Just send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's show, it's online. It's always online, wabe.org slash Closer Look. And you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like in a little while. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.